0: Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth and we pray it's life changing. And we hope to see you soon.
1: So I have to tell you, I am in love with your church. I'm gonna buy a cot, Pastor, and I'm going to put it right up here. I'm not going back to Jersey tonight. No. All right. All right. I am just excited to be here. And uh, greetings from New Jersey. God really does live in New Jersey as well as New York. He really does. Um, And he loves New Jersey. I'm convinced that uh, whether it's New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Long Island, whatever, whatever region as well as state, God has a passion for our nation. He has a passion for this world, and he's ready and willing and able to invade it if we, his people, would just step up and love him the way that we're loving him tonight. Amen. So I want to talk to you. I want to take you on a journey um, into the life of a certain group of people that we don't often hear about because they're not one of the ones that really made a name for themselves, although they made a name for Christ in what they did. And I believe that it's more important to make a name for Christ than it is to make a name for ourselves. If you have a Bible, if you have a device, I'm gonna ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter three, the Gospel of John. And my message is, what about me? What about me? Subtitle, Finding Holy Ambition. Finding Holy Ambition. We live in a world where ambition is a bad word. But I don't believe that the scripture teaches that. In fact, in multiple places, the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ himself, talk about being great and the importance of having a desire for greatness. So I wanna kinda redeem that word tonight, ambition. That it's not a bad word, it's not a dirty word, especially for those who are Christ followers. It is absolutely, actually a very important word. It is a critical word. It is a critical thing to have ambition. Because if you don't have a desire, if you don't have a drive, if you don't have aspirations for something great, what are you doing here on terra firma? I'm often very thankful when I get to travel to different countries, some of them developing countries, and I come back and we land in Newark or we land in JFK or we land at LaGuardia, and I'm looking behind me to the people who don't have the freedoms, who don't have the options, who don't have the opportunities that we have. And I almost want to kiss the ground when I land back here in Jersey or New York. And so I feel that if I don't have an ambition to do something great, to be something great, to make the sacrifices that are required, to contextualize my desires in a way that is something more than what I have today, and I'm not talking about material things, then why have I been given and blessed with such goodness? But I have to temper that ambition because, see, ambition is a slippery little devil. It's a slippery little thing. Because if we're not careful, we end up with selfish ambition as opposed to this thing called holy ambition. And we want to unpack that tonight because I believe, hear me, hear me, hear me. I believe that God has a desire for you and for me for greatness. But it's not the kind of greatness we heard about in the 80s and the 90s where you got the bling and you got the car and you got the all. You know, no, no. It's none of that. There's a holy greatness that follows a holy ambition. So in the Gospel of John chapter 3, which is preceded by Gospel of John chapters 1 and 2, he, we, get a, we get a front row seat. See, the Bible, my friends, is a beautiful, amazing, powerful, dramatic presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Through various writers, Through various voices and different genres of writing, we we get to see God. We get to understand his message and his nature and how much he loves us and what he's willing to do to help us because he gives us a free will, what he's willing to do to help us find him, know him, love him, and be one who is under his his, uh, reign, so to speak, where we're able to see our lives take on higher and higher and higher meaning. So, when I talk about selfish ambition, there's an ambition that we're born with. There's an ambition that our culture sows into us, that our family, that our, our, the way we've been brought up, depending on your, your, your culture and where you go, there's ambition there that is just sometimes forced upon you. But in John chapter 3, we get to see this group of men. Who are they? You're on the front row, this is a theater. You've got front row seats. It's the gospel of John, and it's John the Baptist. He's not the same person who wrote the the the, the book of John, but John the Baptist, he's a man who was born around the same time as Jesus Christ. They were actually cousins. And when John the Baptist is born... The, the prophecy or the the prediction over his life is that he will be one who comes before Jesus Christ and paves the way for his for Jesus Christ's message. He's called the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so, he has this title and he begins to move out After a season of being in the desert and just being, you know, taking time out with God to kind of clarify what all of this means in his life. So he then begins the journey and he steps out and he begins to proclaim, I am not the one, he's proclaiming to all of Israel, hey folks, listen, I'm not the one who's coming to give you hope and to give you this understanding of who God is. I'm just the one who's preparing the way. I'm preparing the way of the Lord. Now, the beautiful thing about John and his message and the power behind it is that it has been 400 years. Say 400. I don't know if we can even, uh, you know, get a concept of what 400 years is like. 400 years since there was someone like him who was prophesying or telling forth this good news to Israel. So there is a spiritual dearth. There's a spiritual dryness. There is a spiritual and and even social and political dryness in Israel at that time. Imagine, imagine what it would be like if for the last 200, 300 years, 200 years in our country that there was no one speaking hope. There was no JFK. There was no MLK. There was no one bringing a message of hope into the land. Imagine what that would be. Imagine if there were no pastors who really had a word from the Lord. Imagine if your mom and your dad just really, it, dry. So you can imagine the heaviness that was hanging over the nation of Israel. And here comes John after 400 years of dryness. And he begins to preach, and he begins to call people to the Lord, to God. And he begins to even what they called uh, at, the, at his time was baptizing them. In other words, just putting them down in the water and bringing them back up in a pool, in a, in a, a type of a pool, and saying, your sins, if you believe and if you will trust, and if you will repent and turn around, repent simply means to turn around. If you will repent, change your mind, have a different perspective of God and how He wants to impact your life, you will have hope and peace. Yeah. And so he goes around baptizing people, and they're coming out to him. And now John's a little weird because he's dressing some kind of weird clothing. The Bible says that he was dressed in camel's hair and some kind of other stuff, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. I don't know anybody had that for dinner last night. And so he's a little weird. He's creative. I'm I'm the worship pastor at our church, so yeah, he's. I love creative people, so I kind of like John. And so everybody starts to come out after him. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Michael Jackson once said, if you want people to come out and see you and hear you, you've got to give them something they've never had before. John was giving them something they ain't never had before. He was giving them this, this powerful word of hope. And there was, there must have been an anointing. When I talk about anointing, that's just a sense of something supernatural working through him. That he had it. And so one day, everyone begins to stop going to John and they begin to follow Jesus. Because as John's star was rising, Jesus' star began to rise too. He began to preach, he began to talk about God and how God loved people and how he was ready to change their lives in a way that made a difference. And so as John is preaching and his star is rising, Jesus begins to come on the scene. And John actually baptizes Jesus because Jesus said, hey, I want to I be baptized. I want people to know that I am for the message, John, that you were speaking. And there ain't no competition. And so as the star is rising for John and Jesus' star begins to rise, everyone, imagine now, all of Israel, Judea, the whole region, they were following John and his disciples. Now they begin to follow Jesus and his disciples. They leave John and his disciples, and they start following Jesus and his disciples. And so the, uh, John's disciples begin to get a little worried. All right, they ain't coming. To, imagine you had a restaurant, and everybody's leaving your restaurant, and they're going over to the new restaurant down the street. Imagine you have a, a singing group, and nobody's downloading your songs. They're now downloading somebody else's songs. Imagine you have a hotel. So there's going to be a loss of funds. There's going to be a loss of power. There's going to be a loss of position. And remember or realize that these folks are living in a shame-based culture. And so when you lose some power and position, you lose face. And so they were concerned about all of that. And then they come to John the Baptist. And listen at what John the Baptist says to him. Let's look at it. Verse 25, actually. We're going to start reading at verse 25 of Gospel of John, chapter 3. Thank you. So, then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification or baptism. So they came to John and told him, they meaning John's disciples came to John to tell him about this dispute that someone had brought to their attention about Jesus and his disciples or his disciples baptizing more. So they came to John and told him, hey, rabbi, means teacher. That's all that means. The one you testified about, talking about Jesus, because John kept saying, hey, I am not the one. I'm just the forerunner. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone, say everyone. Everyone Everyone is going to him, even though Jesus didn't baptize, but his disciples did. Let's go on. John responded. This is what John said to that news, bad news. He said this, no one can receive anything unless it has been given To him from heaven. In other words, yeah, Jesus is, his star is rising. He's getting bigger and bigger, more followers and more, more power, more position. But guess what? That kind of power, that kind of success, that kind of wisdom, that kind of vision, that kind of a draw on people, it only comes from heaven. There is a success that you can have that's based upon your gifts, that's based upon your your own intellect, that's based upon your hard work, and there's nothing wrong with that success, but do not confuse that kind of success with the success that comes from heaven. The difference is the success that we are able to garner for ourselves, yeah, it can help people, it can help our we can help ourselves but there's something special, supernatural, redemptive about the success that comes from heaven. In other words, it can help people find God. I want both. Okay. I want both. I believe we can have both. We don't have to sacrifice the success that we get from hard work, from our intellect, from our gifts and talents, from the opportunities that come towards us. There's nothing wrong with that. We are not condemning aspiration. We are not condemning having desire for greatness. But have both. Have your gifts and and the grace of God and things that God does through you. Have it be redemptive. Something that helps people find God, that helps people better their lives in line with what God's saying. So that kind of success only comes from heaven. So don't worry, he's saying, boys, don't worry about it. JB, I'm fine. I'm fine. JB is fine because I know that what Jesus is doing is simply God given. No jealousy, no competition. So then he says, you yourselves can testify that I said, and he said it three times in the first couple of books of of this, uh, chapters of this book. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the the Israelite king who's coming to save the people. I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bridegroom. In other words, The church and the kingdom of God and even in the Old Testament has been known as the bride of God. In other words, God loves us the way a husband would love his wife. We are the bride. So he says, he who has the bride is the groom. Jesus is the groom. We, his people, are the bride. But the groom's friend who stands by, the best man, and listens for him, rejoices greatly, not just rejoices, but rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. The groom's saying, yeah, I'm going to take her. hmm Yeah. Will you take this woman? Yes, I take her. God says he takes you. He has you. He's, he's like a husband that will treasure you and nurture you and love you. Because he's chosen you. Oh, come on. That's worth an amen or something. That's who you are. I know your pastor's been preaching about your identity in Christ. You belong to God. You know? Ah, You got a last name that was handed down to you. You got traits that were handed down to you. You have a label based upon what you do nine to five during the week or four to 12 or whatever your shift might be, but you belong to God. He's got you. Amen. So rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He's saying my joy is not in how many followers I have. He's saying my joy is to be a part of the wedding party. Just to be able to stand next to the groom and hear him say everything that he says about his bride. To be a party of all that the groom does and to support him. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase but I must decrease. Would you say that with me? He must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, what that means is his importance, his message must become more prominent. And this is a season for my message and for all that I've been doing to kind of take a step back so that my ultimate joy, my ultimate purpose to be the forerunner actually manifests itself. Can I tell you something? Each one of us here, Our real role, you've been praying about your your calling and your gifting and what God's called you to do. Your real call, your foundational call is to be a forerunner, to tell people about Jesus Christ. To tell people that Jesus Christ is the one and only as we were even worshiping today. Your real, maybe that's not the best word. Your foundational, your first, your primary purpose in the kingdom of God is to tell people about Jesus Christ, to live in that way, to be able to articulate that, and to let that be the bottom of your joy. Can I ask you a question? What's the bottom of your joy? What is the root of it? What holds up your joy? What sustains you? I can tell you that in my life, I have struggled with ambition. So really, I am not preaching at you today. I'm, I'm hoping that I can just say this is my testimony. I grew up as the youngest of four children. My mother and father were both in our home. And as the youngest, I had to kind of fight my way to make sure that I was seen, that I was heard, that my desires, I have three older brothers. Yeah. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. And my parents worked, they were blue-collar folks, worked double shifts, and I was often left at home alone. Latch key, as we used to call it, where you had a, a key around your neck, you go to school and you come home and you unlock the door, nobody home. And so in that place of loneliness my brothers were off doing something else my parents were off working I began to say what about me where are the ones who will love me and connect with me oh they loved me because they provided for me and my parents are wonderful they're still alive but they were busy working for some of you you had no parent or the parent you did have didn't even care about you or care for you. And the cry of your heart has often been as it was perhaps back then, what about me? Because we do carry those hungers with us from childhood into adulthood. Are you with me? And so as we grow and we bring these hungers and we also bring what our culture has put on us, how you are supposed to be the, 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 the one who carries the family or carries someone else in the family, or you, you they, they looked to you and expected you to make it. You're the first one to go to college. You're the first one who's going to do this. You're the one that we're depending on. Maybe you were the only one who wasn't strung out on drugs, or maybe you were strung out on drugs, and you heard that, listen, you need to rise up because there's more for you. Come on. But then we struggle with this ambition to make to do, to be more of ourselves, but even just more of ourselves for God. And so how do we get there? How do we arrive at the place where we can begin to grasp this thing called holy ambition? So there's three kinds of ambition. I've talked to you about one. Number one, ambition that is just a desire to succeed. It's a drive. It's a focus to make something happen. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, though, learn to be the servant of all. Learn to be someone who serves, someone who's willing to give up their, or I should say, make room in their natural ambition for the serving of the greater good. That's what John the Baptist said. Yeah, I I knew what I was called to do, and I did it, and I'm going to continue to do it, but there's a greater good here that I need to make room for, And so we're going to ask the question in a little while, are you ready to make room for the greater good in your life? Are you ready to make room for the greater good as a single person? You know, you're pursuing, you're running, you're chasing your dreams. You're trying to get all you can and then sit on the can. You're trying to make all you can and then sit on the can. Or go on vacation with the can. Or buy a a condo with what's in the can. Or build up that 401K. Nothing wrong with that. But are you ready as a single person to open your arms a little wider and say, God, is there a greater good for my riches? Is there a greater good for my time? Is there a greater good for my attention other than my devices that I spend so much time on? All right. Don't say amen. Just say ouch. (laughs) And if you're Latino, say aye. (laughs) And then there's holy ambition, which I'm alluding to when I talk about the greater good. So there's regular ambition, there's holy ambition, but then there's selfish selfish ambition. Say selfish ambition. And the scripture talks about selfish ambition. I believe it was Apostle Paul who said, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but love one another. Instead of selfish ambition, love. What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is this it's blind ambition. What is blind ambition? Blind ambition is when you can't see nothing else but what that focus of the, uh, the personal ambition is. And you can't see how this blinding uh, perspective you have is hurting and damaging and pulling down others. And if we go back to our story, I believe, I believe that the uh, the the apostles of or the followers of John the Baptist had that third kind of ambition, they had selfish ambition. They were concerned about their popularity. They were concerned about their position because again, it's an Asian kind of culture, shame based culture. Not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just identifying what it is. Okay. And so as they had that kind of blind ambition, selfish ambition, it had the potential of this. Listen to me, because this is one of the reasons we need to temper our ambitions. Their blind ambition had the potential of inciting jealousy in John and others, a spirit of competition, a spirit of competition, and thereby blocking the move of God. Blocking the revival. Tainting the revival. I'm preaching, y'all ain't saying that. See, Joy's going to get me on the way home because I never act like this. You guys are, you're, you're pulling something out of me. Listen, I love the Word of God. And when I sit and read it, um, I'm trying to really put myself in the story, so to speak, because it's preaching to me. Every scripture preaches to me. Every verse preaches to me. And I'm in a season of my life where whatever I'm seeing, I really want to communicate it effectively. So that's why I'm going where I'm going. It's not about me. It really isn't. So forgive me. It's not about me. (sighs) So it had the potential of blocking that move of God, which was so critical to the world. We know that the birth and the death of Jesus Christ has changed the entire world. How we tell time, how we, so many many things. Significant figure and God. Not just a significant figure, but Jesus is God. We see it by the way he has changed lives, by the way he has just impacted the world. So then, how do we then get holy ambition when it's natural and good to have regular ambition? I hope you have that. Otherwise, why are you here? Why are you breathing? Why are we, why are we sucking up air? I hope you have that. So then how do we get to this other place and how do we block? that other kind of ambition. So three things, three simple lessons. Number one, the way that we get or find our holy ambition, it's by confession. Number one, by confession. Number two, by seeking or searching out the scriptures. And number three, by stepping out in faith. Say confession. confession. Say searching the word say, stepping out in faith. faith. So you're in that theater, we're here, we're watching this great uh, drama happen. And this is act three. We're going to actually do a flashback. So John the Baptist, after he's born, it's prophesied even, I believe, before he was born or somewhere around that time that he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, just like we are forerunners, telling others about him. He then begins to go and live out in the desert, And I always wondered, what, what, John, why are you you out in the desert? It was because of the call of God on his life. It was because he had to be able to communicate this message unselfishly and without any ambition. And the reason that you have to go out in the desert to do that is because ambition is all woven all inside of us selfish ambition, good ambition, but not the holy ambition. Holy ambition, you've got to pursue it. The holy ambition, as a single person, you got to pursue it. As a married person, you got to pursue it. As in college, you got to make room to pursue it. As a millennial, oh God, you got to make room. (laughs) You got to make room. And so in the desert, that's where you make room. In the secret place, in the prayer closet, on the spiritual retreat, that's where you make room for the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to break into the, the, the hold of selfish ambition on your heart. That's the only way to do it. You can't will it to be broken. You can't exercise it out. You gotta. God has to do it. Only God can do it. Now listen to me. No shame because we've all got selfish ambition. I am not, again, I'm not preaching at you. I'm trying to share my testimony with you. In my marriage, now let me even go back farther than that. When I was single, my selfish ambition got me into a whole lot of trouble. I used to drink because I was trying to balance out how much I was pressing and searching for stuff with some kind of release and relief. I was getting into all kinds of relationships for the wrong reason, looking for love in all the wrong places, that's what they say. Yeah. That was me. I would steal, I was a shoplifter. Don't hold your wallet. It's okay. I've been redeemed. redeemed. I'm saved. I really am saved. (laughs) And so all of those things were an outlet for me to try to become happy. Looking for adventure. Shoplifting. Shoplifting. And it wasn't until I became a Christ follower and I said, God, you're going to be the bottom of my joy that I then began to wrestle with it. Because see, when you don't know the Lord, when you don't know salvation, when you haven't understood and tasted of the goodness of God, you don't even know that that selfish ambition is wrong. It takes coming over to the other side. In order for the scales to fall off of our eyes and our perception of ourselves, our perception of our desires and dreams, that's when things begin to change. Amen? Amen. Has that happened to anybody in this place? That's the power of salvation. That's the beauty of salvation. You can't change yourself. You need Christ. He changes you from the inside out. When we try to change ourselves, we're trying to change ourselves from the outside in. With our own understanding. And so I began to go on a pursuit. Because in order for us to be in ministry, David and me, I began to see that there was no way for it to work, for me to stand up on that podium. Because it's like an X-ray machine. You know when people up there, you can see right through them, can't you? You you know it, right? Worship leaders, you know people can see right through you. If you're performing, if it ain't real they know. And I love the anointing too. And so if you're performing and it's not real, the, the sense of the special, the itness of God, the anointing doesn't flow. All right. I want to get back up. I want to get in that too. That's, that's worship teaching. That's teaching for worship. And so in marriage also, I began to see that my selfish ambition was causing fights and arguments and disagreements and depression and unhappiness for me and for my husband. You know, our different cultures, even just the little things, like he's West Indian, he's Jamaican, he's from Jamaica. Yaman. I am American. I am American, yeah. But even when it comes to our, 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 our culture, the clashes, uh, he likes hot food, I don't care if it's hot, just give me something to eat, you know? He talks about, and he's an engineer as well, and I'm a creative, and so he used to talk about how I would, I would press the, the, the toothpaste anywhere on the tube, I didn't care. <laughs> and he has to roll it up from the bottom. It would drive him crazy. It would drive, and little things like that began to eat away at our marriage and even bigger things, personality conflicts. He's an he's a, he's a engineer. I'm a creative. And it took me going into the secret place as a single person, as a married person, and in my profession to see that those selfish ways were blinding me And getting in the way of true joy. And so in the secret place, what do you do? Confession. God, I can't do this. Lord, I want to be happy, but why do I have to bow to him? Why does he have to get his way? I can't do it. I was trying to do the neck. Why, why do I have to, um, in ministry, why, why, why can't I, you know, try to shine and show off and, you know, play? Why can't I do any of that? It, this is hard, Lord. God, you've got to change me. I'm not going to get up from here. I won't move until you change me. I won't move, and I'm not praying for things. Lord, I'm praying for change. I'm praying that I could have humble ambition, that my ambitions for happiness in my marriage, my ambitions for success and being able to do my job really, really well, and even rise in it, I'm praying as a single person to be able to balance my life and open up my, my arms wider and wider and, yeah, lay down my life. I'm praying, Lord, that you can help me do this thing that you desire for me to do. And how do we know he, he desires that for us? Because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul talking about what it means to lay down your life, he, he paints this picture. He says, talking about his own life, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. He says, the life I live in the body, in other words, this life and this lifestyle that I have, I lay it down, and it's a gift, Lord, that you have given for me. So in other words, when he says, I've been crucified with Christ, this is what he means. I know it's, that's kind of strange language. What he means is this, that when Christ, Jesus Christ, lived here on the earth, and then went and died on the cross. He was crucified on the cross. When he was crucified, he did it willingly. They didn't have to drag him to the cross. He did it willingly out of love for you and me because he knew that if he would take, the purpose of him dying on the cross was so that he took our guilt, our sins, our shame, all of this selfishness that we carry around, that God requires some kind of a a payment for a, 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 a process for, for that to be dealt with. He, Jesus said, I'll take, the, I'll take the punishment, God. I'll take it. He took the punishment for you and me. So he was crucified for us. But then in this life, Jesus says to us, and God says, Well, now I want you to lay down your life so that others can see that God is real, that Jesus Christ lives in you. That's all that that means. And so Jesus said, yeah, lay down your life for me. And that's how we know that he has come, he has died, And then he rose again. So then that as we come up from confession, and it could take a season, it could take months for you to get a sense that you are being cleansed and purified. And you want to bring in the community with that. You want to talk to friends and say, hey, join me in this pursuit that I have. Pray with me. Pray for me that this pursuit, because confession is not just to God. We can also confess those things to others. And the Bible says that when we confess our sins to others. I'm talking about people of like faith who have same values and understand Christ and, and uh, scripture the same way that you do. We, 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 that's part of the cleansing process. That's part of how we get free. Anybody want to be free? Are you tired? Anybody want to be free? Anybody need to be free? Yes. So that's how that happens. So there's first confession. And then there's the part when, even during the, when you're still in the secret place, you're still shut away, you're still going on these retreats, morning, evening, weekends, whenever you do it, whenever you can do it, do it. Then there's the part of searching out the scriptures, opening up the Bible, looking into the word of God, reading books like Proverbs that says so much wisdom about what it means to keep our ambitions in check. Philippians, so much what it means to keep our, uh, our ambitions in check. Excellent books that I'm sure your pastor can recommend that can help us have this disciplined life so that our ambitions don't get out of whack. We're searching it out. We're looking for answers. We're seeking, trying to figure out, okay, why am I where I am and how do I move forward? There's some work. There's some work. It doesn't happen by magic. You don't get this in a box that's delivered on your doorstep and you open it up and all the ingredients are there. I wish it was that easy. After that Then we come to the place, we begin to get somewhat free and we get a picture of what this new life looks like where we're in Christ, where Christ is in us. And he's calling us to live out a bigger life, a life that has a bigger perspective, a bigger purview. And then we have to begin to step out and walk it in faith. Faith meaning trust. Trusting that God is going to Give us the grace, the wisdom, the heart, the fortitude. You're going to fall. You're going to have to get back up. You're going to slip back into uh, selfish ambition. Get back up. You're going to get mad and you're going to try to have your own way. What? Get back up. You're going to become so frustrated and feel like, what about me? When you do that, what are you going to do? Get back up. up. Because it's a process. And I'm still working it out, to be very honest with you. It's a process. So John the Baptist, he goes through that when he's out in the wilderness. That's what he's doing in the wilderness. Maybe you're in the wilderness right now. Maybe there's a season of loneliness. There's a season of lack. There's a season where you just feel like, God, where are you? And what about me? What about my dreams, my hungers, my thirsts, my desires? Wilderness. I want to encourage you. Go to the secret place. I want to close with this story. David, my husband, as I've shared with you, he's an engineer by education and um, a civil civil engineer. And so we met in college. He graduated uh, undergrad and did his master's degree in civil engineering. And um, he's West Indian, mother and father again, highly educated. And he has great aspirations to do great things, always has. And so after he graduates with his master's degree, I don't know, I think his GPA was 3.9 or 3.8 or something like that, he begins sending out resumes all over, trying to get a job. Rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. And he had just come to faith in Christ as he was a college student, graduating between undergrad and grad. And so his family, they really were not Christians at that time and they said to him, what kind of God you serve that can't even give you a job? So then he gets smart and he says, okay, well I can't get a job, I'm gonna go to grad school then. Uh, I should say get his PhD. And he applies to the school in Scotland, some prestigious school in Scotland, rejection letter. Do you know the only job this man could get, and we were engaged at that time, we were dating, the only job he could get was in a spaghetti factory. And if you hear him tell the story, he says he used to stand up on top of a platform and he would have to reach in a box that had raw spaghetti, pick up that spaghetti and then put it down a chute. He said, pick up the spaghetti and put it down a chute. He said, he always says this, I still have the, uh, the motions he can still do the motions. After that job, he got uh, another job in a pizza factory. Same thing, frozen pizza and put it down a chute so that it could be boxed. He got so mad, so angry. He's a baby Christian now. And he's hearing about all the great things that God can do. And he began to get, I call it hope fatigue. Faith, fatigue. And when you're when you're young in the Lord, you don't really have muscles. So you know, you go through stuff and you get discouraged easily. Anybody there? No shame. And so he had a really old car that he and his brother used to share. So that day when he got so mad, he went out and sat in the car. And he had a pocket Bible about this big and had it tucked in his pocket. Oh, and by the way, his, his foreman had a third grade ed- education. And he would yell up to, the da- to David. And he'd say, David, you're doing it wrong. David felt this big. Here he is with master's degree in engineering. He went out to the car, sat down in the car, took that Bible, and he just tossed it across the, the car. He said, God, what are you doing? He previously tried to bribe God and said, I'll give 20% if you give me a job. No job. Tried to bribe God. Said, I'll serve you more, I'll do this more. And he said in that moment, he heard the Lord say to him, David, If I ask you to do this for the rest of your life, would you do it? And he said, he's thinking real quick. Uh, If I say no, then I'm just being, you know, someone who's weak in faith and not really really sold out to the Lord. And he said, if I say yes, I said, he said, I'm I'm lying because I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And he,
0: in that moment,
1: this is what he said, Father, if you ask me to do this for the rest of my life, I'll do it and I won't complain. At that moment, something broke in him. So he couldn't totally grasp the yes, but he knew he wanted to still follow the Lord's guidance for his life. And he said, if I have to do this, I will learn to not complain, I will train myself that the bottom of my joy would not be a job. The bottom of my joy would not be the aspiration of an education. The bottom of my joy would be simply to please you. He says in that moment something broke inside of him and he was able to just walk that season out in his life. Now he eventually got a job and I'm not saying that that would happen for anyone and everyone, but that's the way God led him. But the important part is, he said, the bottom of my joy was not a job, was not a husband, was not a wife, was not a home. The true joy for those who are forerunners for Jesus Christ, whose one primary mission in life is to prepare through whatever vocation, Station in life you are, is to live it so that people can follow Christ through your life. He was happy with that. I want that. I need that. In this day and age, I got to have that. Because everybody's trying to be somebody on social media. Everybody's trying to be somebody on the job, but for a selfish reason. So my prayer is that we would get back up. My prayer is that you and I would step by faith into those difficult places where we don't complain in the marriage, where we don't complain on the job, where we say, Lord, if, if this is where you have me, I will live it out and simply be happy that I'm a part of the wedding party. The Apostle Paul also said this, and I'm going to close with this statement. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, talk about humble ambitions, when we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. He says, he will lift us up. So you won't stay down. He promises that. It's a promise. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will raise us up. So I wanna ask you, do you want humble ambition today? If you do, would you stand with me? If you need it, if there's things in your life that are getting in the way of your joy, I'm talking about that kind of joy that only comes when you lay down your life, I wanna let you know that it's yours today. It's yours for the taking. Yours for the taking. Say it's mine. It's mine. Say it's mine. It's mine. it's mine. it's mine. Father, we're grateful for your word that comes to um, be like a mirror before us that helps us to see ourselves and understand ourselves in a deeper way. And then to make some decisions and some choices that take us closer and closer to you and more and more to look like Jesus Christ. So we ask. That as we have felt washed by the word, Lord, I pray that there would be joy as everyone begins and, and we shift in this, this part of the service. That the joy of the Lord, oh God, would become something real and gracious and powerful in our lives. Lord, we know that you have great things for each and every one of us. Thank you that you give us a map tonight to stand in it and move forward in it. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap.